Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brayden. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you were here last week and you noticed a distinct lack of young people here, it's because we were down at an event called Sports Fest. And so we, we took a group of young adults down uh, to the Bunbury area and we were competing in a bunch of events against a bunch of other churches. And so it's a good time for community and it's a good time to try and win things. Um, but as we gathered together each night, we'd come together and talk about how uh, the weekend went and one of the resounding things that seemed to be happening as people were explaining their day and talking about what happened is that no one seemed to be winning anything. (laughs) In fact, no one won anything at all. And, and so we, we played, I didn't play table tennis this year, I, I hung up the table tennis racket so I couldn't win that. Uh, and, but as we were talking about how things were going, there was this resounding principle that seemed to be the theme of the weekend. And, and so it was that we got robbed. <laughs> and so some would be like, alright, we played this sport, we, did, we won this game, this game, then, but then we got robbed. And so whether it be an umpiring decision, whether it be the weather, whether it be divine acts of God or whatever it may be, in every sport we seem to have got robbed. And so the reason that we don't bring any trophies home is because we were robbed. (laughs) We're not salty, but we did come to win and we didn't win anything. And that's... (laughs) But... There's something that's, that, that hurts and there's nothing that's worse than, than, than losing when you felt like you deserved to win. When you feel like you were the better player on, on the field, when you feel like that, that something wronged you or something came against you and, something, and, and because of that you didn't win and you didn't come home victorious, there's something deep inside of us that makes us feel really crummy about it. And so as, as we look uh, to the story of Haggai, and as we look to the story as a whole of the people of Judah, it's a story of how they feel robbed. Because right at the beginning, uh, there was a guy called Abraham, who, who God had promised that there would be descendants that would outnumber the stars. There was a promise that there was this land that was going to belong to them forever. There was a, a promise that was made to David that, he, that his kingdom would be established forever and his descendants would rule forever. And so, uh, kids, if you're with us today, you might, you might be looking at the story before of, of the, all the different kings that were throughout the Old Testament. And so, a thousand years before Jesus, there was a guy called King David. So, he was the one that the, the promise was made to, and the kingdom was looking really good. Kingdom of Israel was strong, they were beating all the other enemies, all the other uh, kingdoms were scared, and then along came Solomon and things got even better, he's building these really cool buildings, iron ore price is doing really great and they're having a great time. Uh, but then after Solomon, the kingdom splits in two. And so things start going downhill. So Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, not long after they split, falls to the Assyrians. There's this big superpower that comes in and wipes out the kingdom of Israel and they're no more. A while after that, uh, the, the, the Babylonians, the, the next superpower, and they come along and they defeat the, the, um, the people of Judah. And not only do they, they come along and defeat the people of Judah, but they take them away to, to the Babylon and the capital city. And they're, they're stuck there, they're in prison and they're, they're in chains. And then another superpower comes along, the people of Persia. 
And so the Persians come along and they defeat the Babylonians and then they're in charge of Judah. They allow the people of Judah to return back to their their hometown. And, And then not long after that, the Greeks come along. The Greeks, with Alexander the Great, he comes along and he defeats the Persians. And so then all of a sudden the Greeks are ruling and in charge of Judah and they're telling the people of Judah what they're supposed to do. And then not long after that, then the people of Rome come along. The Romans come through and they conquer the Greeks and then they're in charge of the people of Judah. And so Judah doesn't even know what's up and down and what's going on, but all they know is that they don't control their own place. They don't have a king they're not in control, and this land that they've been promised, and this, this dynasty that they were supposed to have, all these, these kings that were supposed to rule, and, and, and the story of how the good guys win, they were robbed. It was taken away. And so you have to understand, as you look at the Old Testament, as you look at when we read the Bible, there's this deep, deep longing for things to be returned to what they once were. And so there's two aspects of this. There's these two big words that we can talk about. And so one of them is called vindication. Vindication. And so there's this, this feeling that, that, God, that God was supposed to be the, the God of the world. And God was, everyone was supposed to see that God was in control and God was most powerful. And, and because of that, because if you had a strong God, you have a strong kingdom. That's how it works. So, so there was supposed to be this, this idea that everyone saw that Israel and Judah were the most powerful people in the world because they followed the strongest God. And so right now, people didn't think that God was the strongest God. And in fact, it was almost like a laughing stock that, 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 that this, these people worship this God because look where they are. They just get taken by whoever's the flavor of the month. And so there's this deep longing for vindication where people would see that God is the ultimate God, that, that Israel is the ultimate kingdom. But there's also this longing for restoration, so that this, this relationship with God had been broken because the people of Israel had rebelled against God. And so God told them, you, you're, you're going to face some consequences. So the relationship with God was broken. And, and as they're sitting there struggling, they're, they're longing for, for God to take them back, for God to fix this, this relationship, for God to return things to what they once were, to restore the world to what it once was to restore the kingdom of Israel to its former glory, to the days when David was king. And so as they're going, they're they're longing for vindication and longing for restoration. And the book of Haggai sits right in the middle of this story. A thousand years waiting for vindication and restoration. And so if we turn to to Haggai chapter 2 at the end, we're going to be finishing off the book today. And in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. And tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. And so the first thing to notice here is that so uh, in, in the other three prophecies that we've talked about, uh, God and, and Haggai, he's talking to everyone. But in this last prophecy, that focus comes in on Zerubbabel. So this leader of the people is focusing on this one person and saying what's going to happen. And the other thing is that God's actually going to start doing something. So they've been waiting for these glory days to be returned and God's like, I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to, I'm going to do something now. And so you start getting excited. It's like, all right, let's go. Let's vindicate. Let's restore. Let's go. 
And he continues on and, and he says that I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Vindication, baby. We're bringing it back. Everyone's going to see how great God is. Everyone's going to see that Israel was in the right the whole time, that they followed the right God. Everyone's going to see that that, that this God is most powerful, that our kingdom is most powerful because we follow the true God. That everyone will see that they were wrong. God's going to bring it home. God's going to show that He is the powerful God, that He is the God that should be in control. going to see that God is the ultimate God. This is what they're longing for. They've been waiting. If we, we continue on uh, in, in verse 23, it says, On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And so, so a signet ring was this thing that someone would wear and it was almost like the stamp of approval. So it would have a, a kind of like a logo on it uh, and, and, and as they stamp it onto something, it has their seal of approval. So as, as they stamp these things, this was, this was almost like a decree or a command that would come off as, as this, uh, this person's word. So if a king stamped their signet ring on something, this was their command and their decree and it had their stamp on it. It was almost like a signature. And so as this happens, so saying the rubble is going to be the signet ring of God. The rubble is going to be the stamp of approval of God. He's going to be the representative of God. He's going to be the mark of approval of God. And there's two important things that come from that. So one, we return to this idea that God was going to establish his throne forever. The throne of David was going to be established forever. And Zerubbabel was in that line of David. And so all of a sudden, God's going to take this person back as his representative. The line of David was going to be restored as Zerubbabel takes charge and represents God. The other thing is in Jeremiah 22 the signet ring is actually taken away from Zerubbabel's grandfather. So it says, As surely as I live, declare the laws, even you, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, which is uh, Zerubbabel's grandfather, you were a signet ring on my right hand, I would still pull you off. And so it's almost like as if God had rejected the line of David and taken away this stamp of approval of, of the kingdom of Judah, but now it's restored. Zerubbabel is, the line of David is restored with Zerubbabel. God, God's going to let Zerubbabel represent God. And so as God moves, as he shakes, as he overthrows kingdoms, the stamp of approval and the one representing God is going to be Judah. It's going to be restored. Things are going to be returned to how they were before. Things are going to be brought back to the glory days that once were. This is exciting. We've been waiting for this. Generations have come and gone. We've been waiting for, for, for this thing to return to what it should be. And finally, God says, I'm going to restore and I'm going to vindicate you all. And Zerubbabel, you're going to be the face of that. But then after 500 years, nothing's happened. 500 years go by. 
Zerubbabel dies. It doesn't overthrow any kingdoms. His children don't overthrow any kingdoms. They get taken by the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans, doesn't matter. Nothing happens. And so there was this promise of restoration and vindication, but nothing happens for 500 years. 500 years of waiting, 500 years of holding onto a promise. And it's not just like a, you know when you have like a bad week or a bad day and you hope that God will kind of come through at the end? There's 500 years. There's 14 generations. So it's not just hoping that that God would come through even just for your children. It's coming through for your great, 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 great grandchildren. They're waiting waiting for God to come through, waiting for God to to restore things and bring things back to what they once were. 500 years of struggle, 500 years of people mocking them and their God and waiting is hard. Sometimes we're, we're waiting Tash summed it up beautifully. Sometimes, it, sometimes you're waiting for five years and sometimes God doesn't even fix things in the way that you, that you think they're going to be fixed. You're just waiting and it hurts and, and you wonder what God is doing or how he's doing it or where the light at the end of the tunnel is, wondering how God's going to fix things or how we're going to see the bigger picture and everything's going to come together. Because we're just waiting sometimes, waiting in pain, waiting for things to be fixed. And it's hard and it's painful. And sometimes there's a long wait. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's five years, sometimes it's 500 years. And there's a, there's a psalm in the Bible that I think is a great thing to, to bring up when we talk about this. It's Psalm 88. And this is a special psalm. And it, and it opens up like this. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. My prayer, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. And sometimes this is what it feels like waiting. And most Psalms kind of finish with some sort of happy ending where, where, where God is actually going to come through, where God is going to fix things, or how God is still this thing that we hold on to. But this is how Psalm 88 finishes. He says, your, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You're taken from me, friend and neighbour. Darkness is my closest friend. That's it. And sometimes in the wait, 
It feels like Psalm 88. Sometimes it feels like darkness is our closest friend. Sometimes it feels like God's just left us. Sometimes it feels like He's not there. And sometimes that's a long wait. But here's the thing. God is not ignorant of that. God, God put this right in the middle of your Bible so that when, when you have those days, you can come to Psalm 88 and you can feel the struggle and it's not like God doesn't care or doesn't, doesn't, isn't, isn't aware of what's going on. God is aware. And God is aware that sometimes there's times where we're like, God, I don't think you're there. I'm not sure what you're doing. And I think you've just left me for dead. And so God put a psalm in the Bible so that you could read that and feel that. So that you could wrestle with him and wonder what he's doing. Because sometimes the wait is hard. And sometimes the wait is painful. But there is hope. And God wrote the rest of the Bible so that, that, that you can see the hope. Because after 500 years, we see that Jesus comes along. And so Jesus comes along and, and he, he dies on the cross for our sins. He takes the punishment that we deserve, but then he raises, he, he raises from the dead and he conquers sin and death. And so, as he conquers sin and death, we know that he is king. There is vindication that he is the real God the whole time because he defeats death. He has control over all things and so that we can see that he is the true God, that he is in control, that he does have a plan to overthrow kingdoms. And in salvation, not only does he defeat sin and death, but he also brings us back into relationship with him. And so in his death on the cross, when our sin is wiped away, we're able to be brought back into a relationship with God. There's restoration. God adopts us as his sons. He brings us in. And as we all know, there's aspects of that that aren't quite finished yet. There's times where, where we don't feel fully restored. There's times where we continue to struggle with the restoration. There's times where we don't feel like God is in control. Uh, we don't feel like God is king. And we're waiting because vindication and restoration is complete when Jesus returns. So one day, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge the world. Everyone is going to see that Jesus is king, that God is king. He's going to, everyone's going to see that that prophecy is Zerubbabel two and a half thousand years ago was true that God's going to overthrow kingdoms. He's going to bring his people back into relationship with him. But it's not fully complete until he returns. And so we wait. We wait for Jesus to return before vindication and restoration is made complete. And sometimes... Sometimes it's hard kind of living in a, in, a, in, a, in a place where vindication and restoration is halfway. Because there's, there's some feelings of hope, there's some feelings of vindication, there's some feelings of restoration, but we still have to wait for that to be finished. And that's a hard place to be. 
And sometimes we, we almost live as if vindication and restoration has already happened. As if God's finished everything off. And so sometimes we almost act as if there's nothing else to be done or that, that our lives are going to be you know, walking on rainbows because Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. But the reality is that's not quite the case. And so sometimes there isn't prosperity. Sometimes the good things don't happen. Sometimes we are left waiting until restoration and vindication are finished. In Revelation 6 verse 10, there's a verse where the the martyrs, the people that have been killed for what they believe, pray a prayer. In verse 10, it says, They cry in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They're still waiting. There's, There's a wait for that to be finished. There's a wait for Jesus to return. And sometimes it's hard in that way, and sometimes things aren't what we hope they should be. The other, the other one that we sometimes fall into is that we live as if vindication and restoration is uncertain. And so sometimes we almost live in a way where we almost think that we have to kind of create a landing pad in order for Jesus to return. And if we don't have everything right, if we don't play our cards right, then Jesus might not actually be able to return properly. And so we kind of live in fear. We try and control or or kind of keep Christianity to what it was 100 years ago. And we're we're worried when people start persecuting the church. and, And we almost kind of worry that the sky is falling because, you know, things aren't going the way that they should be. It doesn't look like vindication and restoration is happening. And we we almost try and protect Jesus. Or sometimes we think, by any means necessary, we're going to step in and try and make things happen so that the restoration and vindication can still happen. But we have to understand that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, and Jesus is faithful, and He will come through. So we have to, we have to live lives that have this balance of understanding that, that, that vindication and restoration has happened. There is an element of that. There is hope. There is parts of our lives that are fixed. There is elements where we get to see that Jesus is Lord, but then there's also a wait that we we wait for until He returns. There's things that we don't get to enjoy and see until He returns. And, And as we think about how we do that, I want to turn back to Zerubbabel. Because for Zerubbabel, there's there's plenty of things that he could have done could have tried to start an uprising or we could have just sat there and waited for, for God to restore him we could have just waited for, for, for God to overthrow these kingdoms but instead as we've looked at throughout the series of Haggai he prepared he, he rebuilt the temple he, he got his priorities right and he was getting ready for God to vindicate and restore humanity He was getting things ready. And so when God decides to act, when the wait is over, Zerubbabel is ready. And so as we live in this awkward stage, where where there's partial vindication and restoration, but we still are waiting for that to be finished, we, we we are getting ready 
for that to happen. And so as we, as we get prepared for vindication, we want to help, see, help people to see how great God is. So in everything that we do, we bring God glory. In everything that we do, whether it be our work or, or our involvement in the community or whether it be at school, we want to bring God glory in what we do. And so number one challenge is, is bring, find something that you don't bring glory to God in and find a way that you can bring glory to God in that. So maybe it might be in changing an attitude that you have in your role at your work. So maybe there might be something that you kind of have to compromise a little bit. But maybe you, your obedience to God can be something that shows that God is greater. That there is a power that is more important to follow. Or maybe, maybe you can give God glory for something that you might ask for. And so that's where I think coming up and tell these goodness stories is great because we can bring glory to God so that when he comes back, we can already see how great he is. Challenge number two is for restoration. And so as we prepare for restoration, for God to come back and fully restore things, help people in their relationship with God. So it might be someone, whether it be a friend, they might know God, they might not, but help find someone and think of someone and help them in their relationship with God. So that when God returns and when God restores those things, restoration is already happening, we're ready for Him to restore. It might be telling them about Jesus that they've never heard before, it might be telling them again, it might be getting alongside them and helping them in their struggles, or, or, or helping them to understand their faith better. The last thing that I want to finish with is a verse in Hebrews 10. And it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so as we wait, whether it be through pain, whether it be through joy, whether it be with discouragement, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because we know that God is faithful. Because sometimes even after 500 years, even after 1,000 years, we know that God still sent His Son. And we know that through everything, God has continued to be faithful to His plans. And so we hope, we have hope in what will happen because God is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a good God and we thank you that we have hope in you. We thank you that we can, we can hold unswervingly to the, to the faith we profess because you are faithful in everything. Lord, help us to wait even when it's hard. Help us to, to wait when, when there's pain and help us to wait when, when it seems longer than it should or when it feels like things may not be fixed. Help us to do that well and help us to hold to who you are and the restoration and vindication that will one day come. In your name, your name we pray. Amen.